From Boise, Idaho and Idaho Education News, this is Extra Credit, your weekly podcast looking at education policy and education politics. I'm Kevin Richard. And I'm Clark Corbin. Truly a shocking, frightening, chilling week of national news uh, as we watched uh, the scenes unfold on Capitol Hill on Wednesday and been very much on my mind, and I'm sure on your mind as well, Clark, as we prepare to cover the Idaho legislature, which will convene on Monday. That's going to be the uh, the main theme of our podcast this week. Yeah, looking ahead, uh, Idaho's busiest, wildest political season is nearly at hand. The first session of the 66th Idaho legislature gavels in uh, on Monday morning, uh, January 11th. The highlight, or about noon, I guess, is when it gavels in. The highlight Monday is really going to be Governor Brad Little's State of the State Address, that will set the tone for the whole session. Uh, But right from the word go, things are going to be different, and they're going to look different, and they're going to feel different on Monday. Kevin, I know we want to spend this podcast talking about what to expect. Before we get into some of the policy issues that I think are going to come up in education debates, let's take a look at the analysis piece that you wrote this Thursday Talking about preparing for an unsettling and potentially unsafe legislative session uh, amid the pandemic and amid unrest and division, kind of walk me through where the idea from your piece came from. And then I know you talked with several different state house regulars about their thoughts. So kind of let's get into what you're looking at and what you found in the piece and kind of what the idea is and sort of how that will inform what we do this session. Well, I think it was, I think it was an attempt to sort of take a look at a lot of the things that we've been thinking about and talking about internally for months. How how is this 2021 legislative session going to look and feel and how are Idahoans, lobbyists and the media going to interact with this legislative process. You know, you and I have covered a bunch of legislative sessions and this, I have nothing even remotely to compare to what we're about to experience in 2021, except for what we experienced the very final few days of the 2020 legislative session back in March, as coronavirus cases were first starting to be uh, reported in Idaho. And the special session in August, the three-day session that we, uh, we generally, the two of us, covered from afar. The extraordinary session. That's uh, that's the technical term, and it's uh, it's accurate in more ways than one. It was it, it was truly um, something unlike anything I'd seen before, and that's the backdrop. So we know the twenty one session. It convenes on Monday, and we're convening in the middle of a time where the pandemic is not going away, and if anything. Idaho is struggling even more with the pandemic maybe than it was in in March and in August. The numbers uh, continue to to spiral upward. Um, We're now past uh, 1,500 Idahoans have lost their lives to COVID-19. Case numbers continue to to climb. Um, We are starting to see the vaccination numbers increase. We'll talk about vaccination later in this uh, podcast. We're starting to see Idahoans uh, get their first uh, vaccinations, but 
you know, that number is, uh, you know, it's kind of lagging behind in terms of, uh, you know, we've still got 140,000 Idahoans who have uh, tested positive for coronavirus uh, since March. So that's part of the backdrop. But part of the backdrop, when we talked about the August extraordinary session and we started out uh, noting the, uh, the, the tragic events and the shocking events uh, on Capitol Hill on Wednesday, we're in a time where political protest is giving way to political unrest and violent political unrest as we saw on Capitol Hill on Wednesday. What we saw at the State House on in August. The Idaho State House in August, yeah. The Idaho State House in August, you know, it bears some very chilling similarities to what we saw just on Wednesday on Capitol Hill. You know, we had, you know, throngs of um, demonstrators, you know, crushing their way into the the, the House gallery, breaking through a, a glass uh, window in a doorway, uh, really confronting uh, state police uh, to to force their way into a gallery that was being, where the, the plan was to have limited seating in the gallery, as I recall, because, uh, you know, legislative leadership wanted to maintain social distancing. That all went by the boards. And the session continued in that vein. We had arrests. We had, uh, we had continued protests. Uh, you know, A meeting was had, vacated. On the afternoon of that special session, we had more police cars outside the, uh, the state house than I've ever seen in 30 plus years in Idaho. And yeah. that was uh, moments later, uh, state police arrested Ammon Bundy of Emmett, the, uh, anti-government activist who has since been banned from the state house. Anyway, there's a long way of saying we have seen some very frightening change in the tone, change in the approach to political dissent. And that's a, you know, that didn't just happen out of the blue on Capitol Hill on Wednesday. We've seen it at state houses, including the Idaho state house uh, going back to August. So this is all the backdrop. And, the session will go on starting Monday, and what I wanted to try to do with the story, and I'm finally going to get to the story from yeah. from Thursday here, is uh, I wanted to get a sense um, from folks who have, you know, been there for a bunch of legislative sessions uh, representing education interests, and just kind of get a sense of how they're going to approach this session. And for everybody I spoke to, it's going to be a very different session a lot more of an emphasis on watching the session from afar, using the uh, the internet streams to watch committee meetings and to watch floor activities, very limited activity within the state house. And, you know, you and I both know part of what makes covering a legislature so interesting is that a churn of activity that's going on, you know, whether it's, orchestrated events like the homeschoolers doing their annual pie day, or whether it's uh, Idaho, Business, um, Idaho Business for Education doing its legislative academy that it does every year on the first morning of the session, or you know, ISBA, the School Boards Association, doing their day on the Hill and bringing trustees to the State House to lobby, um, or you know, pre-K act- advocates having a pre-K classroom taking place in the rotunda so that legislators can see what uh, what a pre-K uh, class really looks like. All of that stuff you know, is part of the, you know, the 
flavor and part of the fabric of what we see in the legislative session, it's all going to be uh, you know, done virtually, if at all. And, and it just it's going to feel very different. And that's only part of it. You know, yeah. committee hearings, I think, are going to be very different. There's going to be a lot less uh, space for everyday Idahoans to sit in on committee meetings. There's going to be less space for reporters to, to sit in on, on meetings as well. Uh, we'll probably see, and details are kind of in the works, we'll probably see more remote testimony taking place, more committees accommodating remote testimony. It only makes sense. Maybe in not in house education, though. Maybe not in house education so much. Again, I think it's up to the committee chairs. Yeah. I think it's up to the chambers. I think that's still sort of up in the air at this point. So yeah. we'll watch. We'll see. Well, obviously, we'll keep you posted on what's happening with, with that. But, you know, one of the things that's going to be very different about this uh, session for you know everybody who has a stake in it is you're going to have less of that that interplay. And sometimes it's very informal interplay. And sometimes it's impromptu interplay between legislators and staff and lobbyists and everyday Idahoans, concerned, engaged Idahoans and uh, the news media. You know, I talked to Rod Grammer, who is the uh, the executive director of IBE. And, you know, Rod goes way back to the, you know, I, I met him in the mid 80s when I was a cub reporter and he was, uh, you know, one of the, the senior reporters at the, uh, the, the Idaho Statesman, who's a political columnist at that time. So he goes back to covering legislative sessions from the mid-70s, and he spent about a dozen years covering the legislature for the, uh, for the Idaho Statesman. Uh, came back several years ago. This is going to be his eighth session with IBE uh, in an advocate's role. And, you know, obviously, as we talked about it, you know, we could both agree, no, no surprise, that neither of us has seen anything remotely like this. And he put it really well. Um, he said, you know, look, this is usually a place where, um, you know, everybody comes together, whether it's uh, you know, lobbyists and legislators, and staff and the media and people who care about the process, Idahoans who care about the process. And he said, you know, it's like this isolated, self-contained city that kind of pops up in Boise every, every three months, every year for three months. And it's a city that's built on relationships. It's all about you know, talking to people, you know, connecting with the right people at the right time. And those connections are going to be very different. It's going to be a very, um, it's going to be done a lot more by Zoom. It's going to be done a lot more by text and by email. And I think we're all having to learn our way through it. And it's, it's going to feel different. It's going to feel different to cover it. It's going to feel different in terms of the way Idahoans participate in this process, the way education groups participate in this process. And that may really affect the product because, you know, legislators may hear from different people in different ways. And, you know, that may, may affect what we see come out of this session. It, you know, it's really hard to tell how the logistics will affect the product, but I suspect it might. And I think it's going to be different. We kind of touched on this and I was going to jump in for a second. I think the experience will be different from committee to committee. I talked to the two education chairs, House Education Committee Chairman Lance Clough spoke to him. While he's not opposed to remote testimony, he said that his committee has tried it in the past. It's been very difficult. He wasn't really happy with how it worked. He had a lot of questions about how they would do it this year. So 
Chairman Cloud didn't seem um, like he was making a big push, at least from the outset, to incorporate remote testimony. When I talked to Senator Thane, uh, Senator Stephen Thane, the new chairman of the Senate Education Committee, he was a little bit more interested in the possibilities with remote testimony this year and how that could work. And so I think whether it's access to a particular uh, vote in committee or a particular hearing in committee or whether you can testify remotely or not, I think that that will look and feel different maybe from week to week, but certainly from committee to committee, uh, even inside the same legislature during the same legislative session. And so we're all going to be on our toes a little bit, but I don't think we know exactly how it's going to play out. And I think like so much during the pandemic, it will be evolving and it will be changing. And what we do on day one might be different than what we do on day 71. Right. And I think, so heading into day one, heading into week one, what we're planning here at Idaho Education News is is pretty much what the education groups are planning, I think what a lot of uh, other lobbying groups are, are planning is we're going to cover the session remotely as much as possible. Uh, thanks to Idaho Public Television's Idaho in, in Session stream, you'll be able to see video from all committees. You'll be able to see the committees in real time. Uh, for the first time, you'll be able to watch a video from any committee room. And you'll still be able to watch the floor activity uh, from start to finish uh, on the computer, which we've been able to do for several years. So the streaming service, which has always been a, a convenience, really becomes a godsend for those of us who are trying to cover the session and for those of you who care about what's going to happen with the session and care about uh, what may happen in terms of education policy. It's a lot easier to observe from afar than it would be without that technology. So that's what we're going to lean on a lot. Uh, our offices are only a couple blocks from the state house, so we can turn on a dime. We can get there within a couple of minutes if there's uh, breaking news that we have to cover, if there's somebody we have to interview, if there's an event that, that simply requires uh, a face-to-face -face approach. We'll do it, and we will do it as, as needed, but we're trying to limit our exposure and trying to uh, you know, limit the possibility of spread as much as we can. So that's, uh, that's our approach. And it really is different as, as reporters. Uh, it's going to be, you know, we're not going to be able to just grab somebody after a committee meeting and say, hey, what happened there and what happens next? Uh, you know, we're not going to be able to just sort of, you know, walk the hallway, find the right person at the right moment and, you know, get a sense of what's, uh, what's happening behind the scenes. It's going to be a, a more of a reporting challenge, but... Uh, Really, at this stage of the game, at this stage of the pandemic, it's the uh, the approach that makes the most sense. Yeah, I mean, that was, I think this will be my 10th or 11th consecutive legislative session. And that was really one of my strategies that I kind of dialed in over the last decade, uh, was sort of working the hallways and mm -hmm. yeah. how to get to the legislators who I needed interviews with. And I had a couple of really good systems that I developed, but one was... If I needed to talk to somebody for a story, I looked up their committee assignments and I would basically shadow them for the day. I would go to their committee meetings and, and try to walk out of the meeting in the hallway with them uh, back to their office or up to the floor and try and take advantage uh, of that opportunity to be there in the building. So that's going to be a little bit different this year. But I want to give well, our... one of the things that I would do and I just I'm going to miss being able to do a couple things is, you know, there were a couple of folks, uh, you know, who I were kind of 
use is going to go to sources. And I knew where they would gather every morning. Yeah. And I would make sure if I needed to kind of get a sense of what was going on, I, I'd make sure to kind of walk by because, you know, they'd see me, I'd see them. And, and you know, they kind of, you know, yeah. me over and I'd be able to say, hey, you know, off the record here, what uh, what's going on on this? And they would, uh, they, they would give me a lot of intel. And that's something that I won't be able to do as easily. And the other thing that I did, and it's a little bit similar to you kind of staking out uh, legislators in their committee assignments, there would be times that I would leave the press room, which is, you know, um, you know leave my cubby hole in the press room and take my laptop and write sitting on a bench in the hallway. Yeah. And just, somebody will walk by at some point, and there's a good chance that somebody who walks by is somebody I'm going to need to talk to anyway, and they'll see me and we'll just say hi. Yeah. And like, oh, yeah, get a second. Yeah, you know, a lot of that sort of, it sounds like chance encounters. It's not. It's strategic. We, you know, we've been doing this for a while. We, we've got some tricks of, of the trade, and everybody at the state house has their own, you know, yeah, tricks of the trade. You know, the, the the currency of the state house is relationships and communication. It's all going to feel different. I mean, you know, it already feels different. I mean, you know, we haven't even started the session yet, and it's already different in the sense of here we are, the Friday before the legislative session. Normally, you and I would be at uh, at the state house. Uh, we would have heard uh, the governor give a an overview of what to expect uh, in in the next few months. You know, the AP would do its legislative preview. The governor would would show up every year. You know, governor Otter did this for for three terms. Uh, governor Little had done it uh, the, the past couple of years. Not really talk about details in the state of the state but give you a pretty good sense of what you might want to be listening for in the state of the state. No, no legislative preview this year. So we haven't heard from the governor. We'll hear from him on Monday, but I feel like I'm going into the state of the state with less of a sense of exactly what to expect, just because we have not had that, uh, you know, that Q and a session with, with the governor ahead of time. Right. No, I, uh, I'm, I'm with you hundred percent for sure. I know that both of us have been talking with legislators this past week. Do you want to transition into doing our own little uh, session preview and talking about some education issues that might come up this session? Is this a good time to shift gears yeah, and move yeah, into you, that? And you laid it out really well in your story on Thursday, just uh, you know, some, some K-12 issues to, to watch for. And yep. We can walk through that. I mean, you know, this is still going to be a very crucial and very substantial legislative session. You know, we're we're looking at a $600 million surplus that nobody could have expected when the legislature adjourned in March. That's going to have a profound effect on how we fund education in the future and what we do about tax policy in the future, because I think we're going to have debates about both uh, over the next three months. You know, we're going to have the issue, you know, of you know, the career ladder of teacher salaries and, you know, we're going to have you know, issues surrounding higher education. I mean, you know, last year it took you know three tries for the House to pass a higher education budget, and the increase for higher ed was pretty minimal. Um, higher ed has taken uh, you know taken some hits over the past few months. Uh, holdbacks with money not replaced, unlike K twelve, where the state did come back in and replace money that was cut through uh, budget cut budget holdbacks. So the higher ed budget issue and the politics of higher education, that's going to be a big issue. And you laid out a lot of the, the K-12 issues so 
you know, why, why don't you jump in? It's yeah. the point being this, even if we weren't in the middle of a pandemic and in the middle of this period of political unrest, this would still be a very newsworthy legislative session. Absolutely. Yeah, I had a piece uh, on Thursday, kind of a companion piece to your analysis about the unsettling and potentially unsafe session. Uh, that same day on Thursday, if you head to the homepage, www.idahoednews.org, um, my story was five education issues to watch during the 2021 session. Let's not go through all five. Let's maybe pick three to explore on the podcast, but let's start with what I think will be addressed first thing on Monday from Governor Little, and that's the budget and holdbacks. You kind of teed this up a second ago, um, but out of concern that revenues would dry up during the pandemic, Governor Little proactively ordered 5% holdbacks to the current year's budget. That translated to about $99 million for K-12 public schools. Uh, but sort of so far, the opposite happened. Revenues have come in ahead of forecast, and they beat the projections. And as of December, uh, the state was projecting a record $600 million surplus, uh, essentially an ending cash balance of $600 million come the end of the fiscal year, which wraps up uh, June 30th every year. And so the holdback, what to do about that, what to do about teacher pay, what to do about education funding proposals in general, I expect that will be addressed right off the bat with the State of the State address on Monday. And then we're going to know a little bit more about, I mean, Governor Little has kind of hinted that when the legislature comes back, he'll unveil a plan to to draw down uh, that, that projected surplus, uh, so to speak. And he's talked about tax cuts. He's talked about investments in education, one-time investments, as well as infrastructure projects like water or roads. But I think that the budget issue is something, it won't be settled Monday, but that will be one of the first things that we really get into this session. What do you think, Kevin? Yeah, and, you know, but what we have also seen, especially when it comes to you know, tax policy and how tax policy affects the budget, legislators have so many different ideas. Uh, you know, we may have you know, a, a plethora of tax proposals yep. uh, that come down the pike. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and higher ed. We're, we're going to get some information uh, on the higher, edu higher education budget proposal, at least from Governor Little. We expect that on Monday as well. Kind of what we expect to get Monday is the governor's budget proposal, as well as kind of a laundry list of his top agenda items for education and for kind of all aspects of state government. I really think of the state of the state address as kind of the, I mean, it's almost oversimplified, but it's sort of the local state version of the state of the union address that the president would give to Congress, just kind of on that scale you know, for us. But I think the budget will be one of the first things that we get clarity about. But there's a, a many, many other education issues that will come up during this session, which could last, you know, 90 days or so. And, and you mentioned one, I think, it, and it really kind of, it's, it ties into education, but I think it also ties into what I think is going to be the overriding theme of this session. Uh, you talked about school closure authority. That's where I want to go who next. Makes the call yep. on, on school closures and school openings. You know, 
as you walk through that, I mean, I, I feel like it's part of a much bigger debate between the governor and the legislature over authority in an emergency, authority in a public health crisis. I, I will be very interested to see how the governor broaches that topic, knowing that there are going to be legislators listening who have been openly skeptical, openly critical of his approach to the pandemic, to uh, to public health, and, you know, the economic rollout, uh, you know, stemming from, you know, the stay-at-home order back in the spring. I mean, it's going to be a skeptical crowd on that issue, and school closure is just one facet of that issue. Kevin, you just hit the nail on the head. Uh, it, it's almost as if you've been paying attention this last year or something. Yeah, what do you know? <laughs> but you're absolutely right. One of the major backdrops to this session is going to be a battle for authority, a battle for power. Uh, this issue of separation of powers between the different branches of government. You're absolutely right. Legislators, many legislators, several legislators were concerned or skeptical about the executive orders and the executive actions that the governor took to respond to the coronavirus. Everything from uh, how the spring primary election was handled to the disbursement of federal stimulus money through the CARES Act. Um, legislators were concerned about that. So I want to take you back just before that August extraordinary session. There was a working group of education legislators that were trying to get some issues off the ground to bring up during that August special session. And school closure was one of the issues. Governor Little did not put it on the agenda for August. Um, but all of the legislators I talked to this week said that that's an issue that's going to come up now that we're in the regular session. Where the education working groups were in August is that they wanted to limit the role and authority of public health districts. And so what they were talking about doing, uh, it was just a proposal and it never got off the ground, but like I said, the issue is back alive. What they were talking about doing was limiting the health districts to having an informational advisory role, uh, and then making it clear that school districts would be the ones that could make the opening and closing decisions. Uh, Which is kind of in what's happening anyway, yeah. but I think legislators want that more. I think they want that codified. In, in code. Yeah, and it, and it all comes back, right? We looked at the, over the summer, the state's response to the coronavirus really was pushed down to the local level and really yeah. embraced local control. We moved from a statewide approach in the early days of the pandemic where nobody knew what was going on and there were large widespread closures and statewide decisions. We saw that evolve over the summer to where those decisions and that authority was pushed um, to the local school board level uh, to make those high stakes decisions about opening and closing. And so this fits right in there. It's all about separation of powers, local control, who has the authority that's going to be a huge issue this session. Yeah, yeah, I think it may be the overriding issue of this session. And let's face it, we're only uh, 16 months away from a Republican primary. I think it's going to be the overriding political issue heading into 2022. So hard to believe we're talking about the next election cycle, but uh, it, it's closer than you might think. So it's going to be a fascinating legislative session. And uh, we, we tried to set 
set the table a little bit for you this week. And obviously, we'll have full coverage on Monday. Yep. Uh, we'll, we'll have full coverage from the state of the state, budget proposal. You're going to take the lead on the writing. I will uh, write uh, a companion piece on Monday. Uh, if you want to watch the state of the state address, there are a lot of different ways to do that. We mentioned the Idaho in session uh, option. Uh, I'd also put in a plug for Idaho Public Television. We'll have live coverage on Monday at 1 p.m. Mountain. Uh, I will be on the panel uh, breaking down the state of the state address. So, uh, you know, that's a good way to to catch the speech if if you're interested and, and get some in the moment uh, reactions uh, from from several of us. So, yeah. It all begins on Monday. It all begins on Monday. There's several other issues that I'm not going to break down on the show today, but they're in the article. We expect school choice uh, to yes. be a big debate uh, this, this session, especially following uh, that U.S. Supreme Court decision involving the Montana State Scholarship Program that must be made available to all students, including those at private religious schools. The issue of school funding, uh, enrollment versus attendance. I know that might sound like semantics, um, but it's a big issue and we're talking about a lot of money. Also, I think we're going to get a little bit more on literacy and, and what to do with the state's literacy initiative. There may be some discussions about early education uh, that crop up this year, a whole host of issues, a whole host of higher education issues. Uh, it's going to be different this year, but our commitment is that we'll cover it once again uh, from start to finish, all the K-12 public school and higher education issues, as well as the corresponding budget debates and policy debates that affect those. We'll cover those. It's going to look and feel a little bit different this year, but we will have full coverage starting on Monday. We will have the Extra Credit podcast going all throughout the session, so we'll be back here at the end of each legislative week to kind of break it down maybe in a more bite-sized format. Uh, as to what happened and what the big issues are, but it, it's going to be especially unpredictable and unsettled this year. You've mentioned Idaho Public Television. That's a great resource. You mentioned Idaho In Session. That's how I'm going to cover this legislative session. And for our listeners, if they are not familiar with that site yet and want to start taking advantage of that, that's available through the legislature's website which is just legislature.idaho.gov. I've got it pulled up on my cell phone right now. Uh, scroll down just a little bit. You'll see a calendar that will give you a list of committee hearings and big events of the day. Just below that, there's a speaker icon, almost a little logo. It says live audio and video streaming. If you click on that, that's how you'll be able to watch every committee meeting and every floor session. So essentially, every vote this legislative session we're expecting to be streamed online. That's a big part of my strategy for covering the session. Uh, but check out that legislative in-session um, service if you're not yet familiar with it. It's legislature.idaho.gov. Look for the little logo icon with the speaker uh, and then click on that. Yep. Uh, you can click around by using it all session. Yeah, you can click. It takes a minute to get used to uh, House floor, Senate floor. You have to learn different committee rooms and what committees meet where. Uh, but pair that with the calendar that you're seeing on the same website, and you will get the hang of it. And the promise is from the state that every vote uh, will be streamed this year. And so 
that's quite a public service and um, it's going to make our lives a lot easier and a lot safer as well. So I'm excited about that. And a wrinkle to it this uh, this year is that uh, for the first time, all of these uh, streams will be uh, closed captioned. So uh, for those who have, uh, for the people to the proceedings uh, much more easily than, than ever before. So that's a, that's part of uh, a fraction of the CARES Act money went towards uh, some technology upgrades uh, to improve the streaming service, and that's uh, one aspect that was improved. So, all right, we want it, it will be easier to cover and to to monitor and to uh, engage in this session from afar. All right, that was really the big uh, segment that I wanted to get to on my legislative preview, Kevin. I know you have a couple of final. Uh, thoughts and a couple of final things that you want to flag and point out uh, before we start to wrap it up. So take it yeah, away. We, yeah, it turned out to be a really big news week. You know, we come back after the holidays, you know how much news we're going to have. Uh, a, a lot of stuff that uh, you want to look at on our website, uh, the latest on K-12 enrollment, spoiler alert, it dropped in the middle of the pandemic. I mean, all of these are pandemic stories, as you'll see. Um Devin Bacon and Sammy Edge teamed up on a story looking at how schools are reopening across the state. The trends are moving towards uh, more face-to-face learning, but not everywhere. And uh, you know, that's going to be a story that unfolds in the weeks to come. But a couple I wanted us to, to each spend a couple minutes talking about. Uh, you've been tracking the, the vaccine rollout yes, and how that might affect uh, K-12 teachers and staff. Uh, quickly, what did you learn on Tuesday. Yeah, there was a, a new series of press conferences that the governor and the health and welfare department are launching uh, to kind of keep Idahoans up to date with the vaccine rollout. The big news that I took away from it uh, is that teachers and public school staff are basically next on deck. When we get through this first wave, uh, which includes a lot of frontline healthcare workers, when we get into this wave, they're calling it 1B, but when we get into this next wave, uh, K-12 public school teachers, uh, staff, uh, counselors, bus drivers, uh, things, people with those types of jobs are going to be up for the next rounds of vaccines. The latest estimate from um, Director of Health and Welfare and from the governor is that will happen in February. And uh, so we're going to continue to clever that closely. That was a priority uh, for the governor and for the state all along has been to offer in-person learning and to slow the spread of the virus. Uh, they said the vaccine deployment is a big part of that strategy. Obviously, the vaccine is, is optional. Uh, it's not a requirement, uh, but it will be available. Some educators, we do know limited numbers, have already gotten their first dose of the vaccine, but really uh, the group uh, is up next and they're expecting widespread access as early as, as February. It's been a little bit, um, there's a lag right now between the vaccine coming in and the vaccine being administered. Uh, Dave Jepson from Health and Welfare tried to explain uh, the logistics of that and getting a new program started and how that was expected uh, to a certain degree, but they hope to ramp up uh, and they and they hope that um, supply will increase. They hope that more vaccines uh, can be approved, but that's the plan right now. Right now we're on emergency frontline healthcare workers. As we get through that class, we're going to move on uh, to more essential workers and teachers and public school staff. That obviously includes charter school staff. 
private school staff, those those folks are up next uh, in February. And so we expect an update every week out of the state. Uh, and so I was trying to get a little bit more specific information about the when and how of the rollout. The best indicator I got was uh, state health officials hope to give a week's notice uh, before moving on to the next phase. And so continue to check back with us, uh, but it does look like um, it's close at hand. Right. And as of right now, I just called it up on the website as of Friday morning, uh, a little bit uh, more than 28,000 Idahoans have received the, uh, the first shot of the uh, coronavirus vaccine. I, I believe that all these are first uh, round vaccines. Um, number is starting to to tick up. It, it's, you know, I, I think everybody would say that it's gotten up to a slow start, maybe a slower start than uh, had been hoped for. But uh, that number is starting to, to creep upward. And as uh, as healthcare workers and long-term care uh, facility residents uh, get their vaccines, then we move into that next phase. And that's where that's where K-12 teachers and staff come into the picture. Yep. And as you say, we'll be following this very closely. And if you're if you're interested in what's happening with, uh, with the process and when uh, you as a, a teacher or staffer will be eligible for the vaccine, we will pass that word on as soon as we know. Yep, uh, absolutely. Uh, one factor in the apparent lag in deployment of the vaccine, the state had to set aside thousands of vaccines for residents of long-term living facilities uh, in order to activate a partnership with the pharmacies. And so several thousand doses um, were held to get that program activated, and those are going to be dispersed now. And so it should, that was the word from state officials, they're thinking it should pick up. I know you had a couple more items before uh, we sign off, Kevin. Right, and I wanted to cover one story and, and you know, flag it to your attention. Uh, Idaho's go-on rates. This has been a story we have followed closely for several years. I was very interested to see what our go-on rates would look like in 2020, in the middle of a pandemic, and not surprisingly, the numbers uh, decreased significantly. For the class of 2020, for the high school graduating class of 2020, 38% of those students went on and continued their education last fall. Now, that could be going to a two-year school or a four-year school or going through a um, career technical program. 38%, that's seven percentage points lower than we saw for the class of 2019, you know, going straight into uh, continued uh, education that fall. So a significant decrease. What does seven percentage points mean? State Board of Education calculates that that's about 1,400 high school graduates, fewer high school graduates continuing their education. So it's a sobering trend. It's not surprising. Um, you know, those are the exact words I heard from Matt Freeman, the uh, State Board's executive director when I interviewed him this week. And it really shouldn't be surprising because what we saw from the college and university enrollment figures indicated that we were going to see a drop off. Uh, what they saw was a, a decrease in terms of the the first year full-time Idaho students enrolling in college. So those numbers dropped at almost every institution across the state. So knowing those numbers in the fall prepared, prepared us for the idea that the go-on rates would, would decrease. So 38% is the current go-on rate that, you know, there are some interesting wrinkles, though, in that. Um, one of the things that surprised me and I wanted to get a better sense of was for 
students who are economically disadvantaged, the, the decrease was less pronounced. It was like a four percentage point decrease for economically disadvantaged high school grads, as opposed to students who are not economically disadvantaged. The drop off there was 10 percentage points. So actually, you know, you're seeing a lot of um, you know, students you know, from maybe middle-class backgrounds or, or, or higher uh, income brackets sitting out college this year. And, you know, so I asked the state board, well, what do you make of that? And what they make of it is that, uh, you know, these are students who may have been looking at going to college uh, out, outside of the state, um, looked at the, the health aspects of uh, relocating, uh, you know, to, to another state, looked at the prospect of maybe uh, having online learning now, and staying at home, enrolling online, you know, at the college of their choice, uh, you know, that is located outside of the state, and decided to to sit it out until the uh, the pandemic wanes. So, the big question right now, Clark, is what happens from here. You know, is this a blip? Uh, is this uh, part of a long term trend? Do these students uh, eventually decide to enroll in college next year or down the road? Trouble is, as State Board points out, the longer students sit out college, the less likely they are to ultimately decide to go. You know, some students have a pretty calculated idea, you know, they can take a gap year, but sometimes it doesn't work out that way. You know, somebody gets a job, a student, you know, a high school graduate gets a job, they kind of decide to stick with their job for a while. Maybe they get married, maybe they have a child, and all of a sudden, you know, life has intervened and uh, these young adults decide not to ultimately go to college. So a, a lot to look for. And, and we get into that in the story, what the numbers look like, what the trends have been over the past few years, what the prognosis is for the class of 2021. And there are some troubling signs there as well. So we get into all of that in the story. Uh, you can see it on our webpage. Uh, just kind of scroll down. It's a little bit uh, down the page right now because this is a story that we broke on Tuesday. Life happens. Life has a way of getting in the way. We've heard that time yeah. again. Kevin, thanks so much. We're out of time uh, for this week. I can already hear uh, the sign-off music starting in the background. That story, every story that we talked about this week and more is at the homepage www.idahoednews.org. Uh, I know that was a lot this week, uh, but the year's off to a busy start, and it's only going to get busier from here. There might be a lot next week, too. Yeah. We invite you to follow along all session with our legislative coverage. We'll have daily stories at the homepage. Uh, we'll be tweeting out news at Idaho Ed News on Twitter, and we'll be back at the end of each week with another brand new edition of Extra Credit Podcast of the Extra Credit Podcast to wrap up and try our best to make sense of what just happened the week before. It means a lot. Uh, that you're spending time with us and that you're seeking us out. That's why we do this. It means the world to us. As always, thanks so much. I'm Clark. I'm Kevin. Stay safe and have a good week.